And all God's children said, amen. amen. By faith we believe <laughs> you at home, wherever you are watching right now, uh, you are amening with us. You are saying, yes, God, we affirm, we agree. You are a good, good father. You are the father, God's word says, from whom every father on earth derives their name and their identity. God, it is what you do as our father that we learn as human beings how to be a father, how to be a mother, how to be a parent, how to be a mentor, how to be a leader, how to be an encourager to anybody else. And it is uh, our involvement in people's lives that are meant to point people to our Father in heaven. And that's a high challenge and a high standard. Welcome to Bethany. We're so glad that you're here. Bethany is a place of new beginnings. And you may need a fresh start this week after maybe a rough previous week. You may need a, a fresh start just uh, this morning. Uh, and so that's what we believe God uh, provides for us. And uh, Bethany exists to love. We are uh, a people who are coming to grow and to learn what it means, what it looks like. Uh, love is not just an emotion. Love is not, love is not just a, uh, an attraction to another person. Love is a commitment of the heart. Love is a matter of character. Love is what ultimately wins uh, in life. And uh, in seasons of life, when we encounter the pain and the agony of hatred, uh, love changes everything. So we're here to try to learn day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, a little bit more about what love looks like and how to live in love and walk in love and to love as God loved us. In a season, as we say, where we need to be more physically isolated than normal, we have to find ways to become more spiritually and emotionally connected at the same time. We've got some wonderful things that are coming up in our uh, church uh, family. And uh, to start us off, we want to just take a moment and say thank you to dads. So you at home, you have a dad you want to bless and thank. We ask you to do that and encourage them right now for their commitment, their faithfulness, and the ways, uh, maybe you could point out even the ways that they exemplify the love of God the Father. But to help us, we want to take a moment and look at a video of some of the little ones of Bethany saying thank you and appreciation to uh, some of the young fathers of Bethany. My favorite thing about my dad is because he's sweet and nice and patient to me. My favorite thing about my dad, he, he gives me big, giant hugs. Um, when I'm hurt, he'll come and help me. He's nice. He takes care of us, and he plays with us a lot. Yeah, he knows how to cheer me up. What's your favorite thing about dad? I love him. That he's smart and strong. That how he plays games. Because he's very special and very strong. He plays games with me. My favorite thing about my dad is that he's hardworking. My favorite thing about my dad is when he likes to exercise with us. Power will be super speed because then he could go to work and then come back fast. 
and fast, and we, he could play with us even longer. Um, his superpower could be super strength because he's super strong. Super rescuing. Building. Having the power to take care of his family. Iron Man. I would think um, maybe he would be able to Help people when they're feeling sad. To fly and read people's minds from a pot. Strength. To kill bugs. To make pools and give sandwiches quickly. My dad had superpowers. He would have flight so we could fly around the world. It would be being super smart. If he was a superhero, he would be Batman and beat the hatred out of this world. Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day! I love you, Dad! Happy, Happy Father's Day. Day! Happy Father's Day! I love you, Daddy! Happy Father's Day! I love you, Dad! Well, fathers, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Father's Day is a day of, of uh, very mixed emotions for many people. Uh, my father isn't here with me to be able to thank and to celebrate. So there's a sense of, of loss, but of gratitude also for what I've been given. But we look at those uh, young lives thanking their uh, fathers here, some of the Bethany fathers, and uh, we look at the reality of the preciousness of these lives who have been pointed by their earthly fathers to their heavenly father. And they're learning about the love of God and how themselves they can pass that along. So we're so grateful for that. Well, uh, Father's Day, we think about the gifts that God has given to us. Uh, even if we had, uh, of course, all of us had imperfect dads. And uh, I think growing up, I was conscious of the ways I, I was gonna be a perfect dad, uh, as uh, a lot of us as kids do. And very quickly was informed by my children at very young age that I wasn't perfect dad. Uh, and uh, because of that, my kids have had to learn that there is a perfect father. He is our father in heaven. And my job is to kind of help him along in that journey to get to know him a little bit better. Uh, and we learn from that fact that God is a God who loves and who gives. And that's what binds us, actually, all of us together, as I believe we'll see in our uh, a message today that I'm so excited about for you. But we have a God who loves to give good gifts to his children, and fathers love to give good gifts to their children. At Bethany, we invite you to give because it's transformative for your life as well as meeting the needs of our community and uh, even Christian and other places through our giving. And there are three ways to give, as you know, at Bethany. We can give online uh, at www.bethanyonline.net. Just follow the links there. You can actually use those to automate your giving so that every week, month, bi-weekly, whatever it is, whatever uh, uh, systematic way that you give, that you can kind of regulate that and set that up. Uh, so you never forget a day and are consistent and faithful in your giving. Of course, you can give in person, which is more difficult now. You can do that by uh, mailing your tithes, of course, in, but you can also bring it by uh, to uh, our family outing after the service. Uh, and uh, online, again, is an easy, simple way to do that. 
So before uh, Pastor Brandon comes to open God's word for us, which I'm so thrilled about, let's pray. Let's thank God for his many gifts and for the way he continues, continually uh, gives to his children. Living Father, we're excited today to come together, even in different places, but we're coming together. And as we're conscious of coming together as a church family in different places, we're we're conscious as well that we're gathering uh, today on Sunday uh, into God's presence, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are gathering in whatever, whatever way they're able to do, some in great isolation, some in small groups probably. But God, we're gathered before the one Father who unites us all. He unites us because we are all recipients of his love. We are all recipients of having been called into existence by his creative heart. We are all brothers and sisters because we are all blessed by God, loved by God as his beloved sons and daughters. So we offer up to you our gifts right now, God, in gratitude that you have blessed us and taken care of us. God, we may not have everything that we want, but according to your word and my faith, we announce that we have everything that we need and we thank you for the way you've provided. We pray right now that your spirit would descend on each one of us as we open your word together, as we listen to your word being preached on Pastor Brandon as he prepares and shares with, what, uh, with us what God has put on his heart from the word of God for us to hear this Father's Day 2020. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's children said, Let's pray. Lord, we affirm who we are this morning. We are your child, your son, your daughter. And so, Lord, would you quiet all those voices that would speak to us otherwise, that would try to call us other things, other names, label us in other ways. But we are your children, Lord. And as your children, we listen to you right now. We're open to your spirit as it speaks to us and gets our attention. And Lord God, may you bring comfort to every heart this morning that's unsettled. May you bring clarity to where there is confusion. And may you bring sight to us where there is blindness. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. So good. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's who we are. And I'm so glad you're watching. If this is your first, second or even third time watching us. I wanna thank you and I'm glad you're here. I don't believe it's just by accident, but I believe, uh, there, I believe you're here for a reason. And I'm so encouraged to be able to share with you this morning what God's been doing in my life and placed on my heart. You know, at the beginning of this year, um, I intentionally created a space um, and time for discernment. Um, and through that prayer time, I was seeking to discern the year and also to discern the decade. And I'm so glad I did, because that time has served as the backdrop upon which everything that has happened this year has made sense. Everything that's happened this year, I've been able to place alongside or up against that backdrop of prayer and discernment to seek ways forward. And we're still not done with the year yet. 
So I'm so glad I did that. And let me tell you up front that this time together, the brief moments that we have together, is a message about Father's Day. Um, in fact, this message is about the Father's Day. <laughs> the Father's Day. And the best gift for the Father's Day. We're going to see through our text that one of the best ways to celebrate the Father's Day is for the Father's children to have some act right. <laughs> yeah, to have some act right. That's what I, you know, I heard growing up. You, when you have act right, it simply means that you, you, you act well together. You see, I believe that's one of the best gifts we can give the Father on a day like this, in a season like this, is for the father's children to have act right. You see, uh, one of the trigger words, the trigger words uh, right now in our society is the word justice. And today, you just might be able to give, excuse me, and it's particularly so for the father's children, for, for Christians. Uh, some of us hear the word justice and we simply don't know what to do with it. Others of us hear the word justice and basically go to sleep. Others hear justice and maybe become awakened to respond. But you know what I've realized? That those who follow Jesus ought to be the most justice-crazed people in the entire world. And I realize this for two reasons, okay? So don't turn it yet. You might, even as you kind of hear that word just as you may be, oh, let me go see what else is on. Or let me go see. No, stay right there. Don't turn it just yet. Don't change it just yet. I want you to stick around for a few minutes, okay? There's a few, there's a couple of reasons that um, I believe Christians ought to be the most justice-crazed people in the whole world. You know what that first reason is? Because we, as Christians, we believe the world's greatest injustice is Jesus on the cross. It's the world's greatest injustice. Secondly, as Christians, we don't believe in justice because it's fashionable or marketable, consumable or profitable. No, no, not at all, right? The reason a Christian believes in justice and takes it seriously is because Jesus believes in justice and takes it seriously. So that's, that's something that, that ought to help us this morning because justice is central to the calling, to the anointing that will guide the very life of Jesus. Do you recall what he said in Luke chapter 4 when he was sitting in the synagogue like he often did? He was sitting there with others on a day like it often was. And on this particular day, he, he grabs the scroll and opens it up and reads from it. And he's reading from Isaiah. But we see as Jesus is reading, um, reading from it, referring to himself. And this is what Jesus says. This is what guides Jesus's life, okay? It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Well, I just want you to put a pin in that right there for just a moment. Put a pin in that. Because I want you to imagine, imagine yourself in the synagogue. Jesus stands up, he reads it, and he's reading from the text. He's, and, and he says, I have been, and he says, I have been called to proclaim good news to the poor. But imagine when Jesus says this, someone else in the synagogue stands up and says, No, Jesus, no, no. Uh, not just poor lives need the gospel, all lives 
need the gospel. This is what many do when we hear black lives matter. But it's a statement not of exclusion that Jesus is speaking, but a statement of focus. Imagine when Jesus is given the greatest sermon known to man. Blessed are the poor. Someone yells from, no, no, Jesus, the rich are blessed too. (laughs) Yes, the wealthy, God loves the wealthy too. But see, it's not just in what Jesus says, it's in how Jesus teaches that we as Jesus followers seek to understand and learn what he means. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll continue. So he's, he's speaking in the synagogue to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he goes on to say, you know, after he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the usher and sat down, the eyes of everyone, you know, were fastened on Jesus because of what he just said, right? And he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your listening, in your hearing. That was about him. You see, those, those words, that calling, that anointing was about how Jesus' life was to be led by justice. So, You know, while it is, you know, a word today that can hit some of us the wrong way, but we're here to center in on why Jesus believes in justice and why he takes it seriously. So on this Father's Day, we are going to prepare for the Father a great, great gift. Are you ready for this? Okay, and that is the gift of his children being and acting rightly in the world. I mean, I mean, as a father myself, I mean, I could tell you, I would love it if my children, you know, made that. They came together and said, you know what, sisters, we are going to just act right for dad today. Even one day, I'm praising God. Okay, two hours, I am on my knees fasting, thanking the Lord, okay, because that is so good. My kids are wonderful, and they're so amazing. I'm so grateful for them and the encouragement they are to me. But, you know, just imagine as an earthly parent how you would be benefited from the gift of your children acting rightly. So just imagine that our heavenly Father, right now, we are able to present a gift, a gift like none other, a gift of his children acting rightly in the world. So to prepare this gift, there are three things we must know about the Father, okay? And those are going to be three things that guide our time together. And we're learning about these three three things from someone who knows what he's talking about. We're coming from the book of 1 John chapter 3. Okay, I'll have the verses there for you. They're on your handout if you printed it out. Um, But you can also pick up your Bible or open it up in your app, and we're going to be getting there shortly, okay? In 1 John chapter 3. So the first gift, so excuse me, the first thing we have to know about the Father to prepare this great gift that all of his children can present to the Father on this special day. The first thing we have to know is, number one, the Father's heart. Oh, the Father's heart. And for that, I want you to track with me verse John chapter 3, verses 1, 7 through 10, all right? Um, And it says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Dear children, he's talking to me, he's talking to you, he's talking to us. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, talking about Christ, is righteous. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Somebody say destroy. There you go. Destroy the devil's work. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So John is concerned here about the father's heart. The passage shows us that the father's heart is for God's children to live rightly in the world. You see, because the father lives righteously, he expects his children to live righteously. Because the father has eternal life, he extends and gives his children eternal life. Because the father loves, he expects his children to love. This is the father's heart. You see, I was talking with a friend of mine who pastors in Northern California um, about a week ago, actually. Um, and his perspective is unique because he's white, but he grew up in the UK. Okay, and his perspective struck me as we talked about justice um, in light of everything that's going on. And this is what he said to me. He says, you know, issues of race and justice can become very politicized here in America. And things that are political are most often personal. But when things become politicized, he says, it can easily distract many Christians from the biblical nature of the issue. I appreciated his perspective that he grew up with differently coming from the UK and coming to a, living in America for some time now sees it from like a third eye, so to speak. You see, the, the means um, there are, what this means for us is that it's challenging us as Americans to know the Father's heart. You see, because this morning, I'm not here to talk to you about political things. I'm here to talk to you about matters of the Father's heart. But you see, sometimes things that, are, that matter to God become politicized. And that makes it hard for us as Americans sometimes to see the biblical nature of the issue. And I'm, I so appreciate my friend for sharing that with me. So the baptized, although endowed with the world's perplexity, we must not be governed by it. We cannot allow politically charged issues to muddy up the water about what God says and who God is. Somebody say amen. You see, that is what the baptized are charged to do, to know God, to know the Father, and to know who the Father is, what the Father says, and then that tells us who we are as children of God in light of the Father, without mudding up the water of those other politicized ways of bringing up issues. So that's what we're going to do this morning, speak of matters concerning the Father's heart. Are you staying with me? I, I'm glad you stayed with me. You haven't turned it yet, and I'm glad you haven't. Keep on listening. This is going to be good. Because this is what verse 1 is all about. Knowing who we are and who the Father is. That's what verse 1 is all about. But this is why verse 7 then comes in and says, Well, dear children, do not be led astray 
You see how it says that? You see, because, but would you believe it that there are those who have a great stake in keeping our culture adversarial and lacking justice, including the devil himself. But the outcome of acting in the Father's heart is that they will lose their power. And as they lose their power, they lose their interest in us. So whenever your journey with justice, wherever your journey with justice has been shaped, and, where, and however it's been shaped in light of things that have been going on recently, if John is calling everyone right now to see, to know, to hear the Father's heart on the matter, and that because of the love of the Father that he lavishes on us, we must not only show up rightly in the world, but we must be able to identify with our actions what is right and wrong when it comes to loving the diverse family of God who don't look the same, don't talk the same, don't vote the same, don't live the same, all of whom are brothers and sisters in Christ, are children of God. You see, the world right now is currently, some voices in the world are, is currently, are currently defining the moral response to our racial issues as receiving an education for correcting ignorance. Um, and I believe that education is so important. And while that's true, there's something deeper that the baptized must listen in on. Because we do not define morality on some sense of social fairness, but rather, let me say this very clearly, but rather we define it in the existence of a holy God who is entitled to define what is right and wrong and expect us to follow it. That's how the baptized discern right and wrong. Hmm. You know, I... I, I crossed this part, on my, I put part out of my notes not to, not to say it, but I'm going to say it because I feel like I need to go here because it's, I believe it may be that same John even who's talking to us right now, who speaks as John the Revelator, who gives that great vision in Revelation chapter 7. And when he looks out and sees a great multitude of people in Revelation 7, 9, he says, John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation tribe, people, and underline this language, circle, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, let me give you a real, real down-to-earth example of what it means to live out the Father's heart. I'm going to put it to where the goats can get it. It's just a saying you put the hay where the goats can get it, which is down low. I'm going to put this right where the goats can get it. You see, um, if, if, if you don't like, if, some, if, if you find it uncomfortable, for example, that it's necessary to learn Spanish, to get through a day in Southern California, to get through, to order food, to get through life in Southern California. If you find that uncomfortable, you're going to find heaven very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, you're going to find heaven very, we're going to find heaven very uncomfortable 
Because last, I, I mean, as far as I can tell, I don't know, know until I get there, but English will likely, most likely not be the primary language in heaven. Did you get that in the text? It says, John, John says, people and language. So right now, what does it mean to live in the Father's heart? It means right now we're bringing heaven here, men and women. We're leaning into the discomfort. Who knows how many languages we're going to have to learn when we're up in glory <laughs> with the Lord. But you know what? And I don't know what the process is going to be of knowing the languages, but we start now. We start now. This is part of the Father's heart for his children. So this is part one of how we bring this great gift to the Father. We have to know the Father's heart. That's number one. Number two, after knowing the Father's heart, well, then we have to know the Father's children. Know the Father's children. So this is what, um, in 1 John chapter 3, pick up at verse 11, where it says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So from those two verses, let's take this. We're talking about the father's children. One thing you want as a Father's Day gift, as I said, is what? For your kids to act right. So man, woman, church, let's get it together, can't we? Shall we? And let's give God a great gift. Cain and Abel were brothers. The audience to which John is writing is made up of brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's the bond there. The audience to which the Bible is speaking to all of us is as God's children, as siblings in the faith, all of us. We're siblings in the faith. So although we're hearing about Cain and Abel, we're hearing about our own relationships today. You see, even though Cain and Abel were brothers, they did not have the same character. Cain was of the evil one, and his behavior toward his brother revealed that, right? Cain resented Abel. He resented Abel because of the gift that Abel brought to the father. He resented, he resented Abel because of Abel's righteousness. And Cain, and this is what Cain does. Listen, and Cain acted on a resentful impulse. Allow me to draw the bridge to today. In America, we are, con we are conditioned to believe that white is superior and that black is inferior. And the manifestation of that conditioning is that black people are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. In the past few weeks, how many have asked, how is it possible for Derek Chauvin to place his knee on George Floyd's neck for seven minutes and 46 seconds. How is it possible? Because George Floyd was undervalued. How is it possible for an officer to shoot a man who was attempting to show his concealed carry permit after a traffic stop? How is that possible? 
because Philando Castile was underestimated. He couldn't have been actually trying to show his concealed carry license. How, how, how? Because in America, we are conditioned to believe that white is superior and that black is inferior. And the manifestation of that conditioning is that black people are undervalued, underestimated, and marginalized. You know, and to my white siblings, hey, you don't need to carry guilt about this conditioning <laughs> because we're all conditioned this way. I was conditioned this way. I was conditioned to think this way. It is a part of the miseducation of who we are as children of the Father. But what do we learn from Cain? People respond to impulses of resentment. And that's not who the, father, the Father's children are to be. Men and women, boy and girl, because we grow up, if you are born in America and you grow up, we are conditioned through media. We are conditioned through advertisements. We are conditioned through um, all sorts of narratives that of, of, this, of, this, of, of this conditioning of white is superior, black is inferior. You know, of, I remember thinking it. I remember even, you know, looking and seeing how angels' food cake is white, devils' food cake is brown. You know, it's conditioning. And but as the baptized of a diverse body of God's children, we come together and we say, oh, stop there. And that is where we have to begin to take on the heart of the Father. It's not your fault you were conditioned that way. It's not my fault I was conditioned that way. It is the culture. It is the water we drink, the air that we breathe. If you grew up with Jesus and we speaking to the Pharisees, he's talking about the air they breathed. So, so that's what's going on with Cain, you see. Those impulses of resentment comes from, from conditioning, that we have to be in alignment with the Father's heart as his child to be able to resist and invite God's true um, uh, heart to be our heart. So there's a question that surfaces here, though. Why does John take us to the story of Cain and Abel? Because you see, there were people even in John's Christian community that he's writing to that were attempting to justify or rationalize the wrongful beliefs and practices. And you see that in First John in chapter 1 around verses 6 through 10, where people in the community are trying to rationalize and justify the unhelpful ways of thinking about being in community, about loving one another, about brother and sister. This is why John is even talking about it to begin with. So there are often challenges, you see, to, to forging rightness amongst God's children. And a couple, of those challenge, a couple of those challenges also look like I was encouraged in conversation with a friend. Oh, my goodness. So, and it's so helpful. And so I'm borrowing this point from him because I was encouraged by the challenges of us to come together, love one another rightly, and to be able to, to put that on display in the world, which is how a challenge can also be avoiding conflict and conditional acceptance. So you might imagine um, when you want to when you want to keep unity in a group, when you want to maintain unity, you want to keep the peace. 
You see, and so, but we can often go about maintaining unity and keeping the peace at the expense of fully showing up or of fully showing up about who we are as God's child, right? So at the expense of keeping the peace, I may not say, oh, you know, that comment was actually racist, you know, or that comment was actually ignorant. You know, you don't say that in every circle possibly because you're trying to save the peace and the unity. But you see, it comes at an expense, brother and sister. Because when one chooses not to avoid the conflict, when one chooses to say, you know what, I'm going to say something about it or I'm going to speak up about it, well, then you, it's very easy to become labeled a peacebreaker. You know, because through it all, you, realize, you come to realize then I, well, one was only accepted based on the conditions of getting in line. You see, and you can experience that with issues of race, with the issues of gender, with, with all sorts of things, with someone around you says something that isn't right, but you, you want to protect the peace. You see, but as God's children, we have to be a community where we are inviting God's children to come as God's child, and that protect that actually in order to have unity, it does mean we don't always get to avoid the conflict. Right now, and there's a lot of different ways we land on these issues, and I'm not here to tell you about a certain right way of viewing the issues, but one way, but one, but one way of viewing, hey, protest, you, you, you think about protesting. Hey, when, so when the conflict is no longer avoided, it can be easily labeled peace-breaking. But I'm just not avoiding the conflict anymore. You see, so as, as, fathers, as the father's children, we're leaning into that. And I was encouraged by 1 Peter in chapter 3, verse 17, because sometimes it's uncomfortable to lean into that. And that's what we need all of us doing, a white, brown, black, uh, all of us doing that, leaning into that discomfort. Do you know why? Because Peter says it is far better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. You see, one of my best friends, uh, one of my best friends is white. I've been best friends, known him for more than 15 years about now. And we talk all the time. And I remember him, him talking to me, uh, we were still an undergrad in college, you know, and he would tell me about what things were like, you know, and going back home and, and different circles he was in and the process of having to speak up when wrongful things were said, when something that was ignorant was said or something racist or hateful was said. And my friend telling me, you know, Brent, like it was hard but I, I said something you know and it was it was hard because like you know everyone didn't really like that I said it you know and it was people that I love and how many of us have people that we love that say things that are not good that say things that are wrong you see but father the father's children are called in this world to be the father's children to act rightly to be rightly and I still process with my friend to this day. We process about all these things. I, he shares with me about his experience toward justice. And through justice, I share with him my experience about mine. But it, that's, that's what's important. And there was another friend, and I have to give him all the credit for these three Ps I'm going to give you. Because it's like, how do you respond now to the things that we see in our world? 
You know, how do we respond individually? How do we respond collectively as the church to things like systemic racism? How do we respond? And these are not mine. These are his that I'm borrowing. Okay, and he did it so eloquently in three Ps in our conversation we had about a week or two ago. And I want to share these with you. Okay, and so the the first thing in order how we respond as the father's children is that we prepare. We prepare. So in order to prepare, that means on an individual basis, it means things like reading or listening in to voices that are different from ones you've been listening to lately and and watching other Christian voices who are on their journey journey for justice. Okay, that's an individual approach of how you kind of prepare, first step in responding to something like systemic racism. Okay, but then collectively, as a church, how do we prepare? Well, we prepare by sharing resources on justice with one another. Right? That's just the first step of preparing. We just, we, something that's happened in the world and Christians respond, we share that resource, we share that story, so we become aware of what's happening in the world. So prepare. Those are, that's one way you start, that we start, is prepare. So moving beyond prepare, then you move into process. Well, what does process look like individually? So individually, Processing might look like beginning to work through your personal experiences and your personal traumas with injustice, right? Beginning to think about those things. And, and, we, and, and you don't probably have to think too long about something that happened to you when, you when you were a kid or something that you saw or something that you witnessed when you were a child, right? So beginning to individually work through and process that trauma, that trauma of injustice is a way you also respond to um, systemic racism. You begin, you, you, you do that. Collectively, so that's individually. Now, collectively, in our small groups, we share stories of injustice and trauma. And we do that, listen to this, we share stories in order to activate empathy. We share the stories in order to activate empathy. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, our, our church family, we held a, lament, a, a prayer vigil in our North parking lot. And I tell you, it was such a blessing for the response of so many of you watching, so many of our faith family and in our community who came out and just were wanting to lament. Because, you know, the first step to trying to understand something like systemic racism or the first step to even trying to respond as a believer to these things is understanding. And what opens our minds to understand is becoming empathetic, is listening. So that's, you see, so listening leads to understanding, and then understanding can then lead to action, and in a way that's appropriate in your life as a child of the Father. Are you tracking with me? I'm so glad you're saying with me. This is good. Okay, so we empathy brings understanding, and this is how we do this as a community. We, 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 um, we did a lament walk down from one block to the other. What was that doing? That was begin, and before that, we put that in the context, right? But that is lamenting because lamenting is opening the door to listening and understanding. That is how the father's children lean into loving one another. So that's process, both individually and collectively. Now that third and final P is produce. 
Okay, so at, we prepare, then we process, but then we have to produce. So what does producing look like individually? So individually, it looks like sharing with others in your circle of influence, right? Talking about things in your circle of influence. And, you know, and again, it's leaning into that discomfort, right? And talk and bringing things up um, in, in your circles, that's, that's something, that's just a, a way you produce. And, 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 and guess what? I, you don't have to go nowhere to do that. You don't have to get a special education or degree to do that. You don't have to go through a training. All you have to do in your circles of influence, as you go through your life, you see, you are sharing with others what God is showing you about injustice, showing you and showing you about the world, about what it means to be the father's child. So as a, as a community, but this is also why our circles of influence also have to, uh, we seek for those to be diversified, right? So we can also learn from others. And that's why I'm so grateful for a small group. And as we're leaning into what does it look like for the church to start meeting collectively again, we want to lean into just this kind of discomfort, getting together with people that don't look like us, don't do life like us, and coming together because that is where stories are shared, empathy is began, understanding is created, and the seedbed for gospel love is begins to bear fruit. So that's what we're going to be asking you to lean into as a Bethany family, right? Depending as our, what, what, um, how we're deciding to roll things out, which will come soon. It's, it might be those ways of leaning into small group. Maybe you don't feel comfortable when we do open the doors. Maybe you don't feel comfortable just yet coming into the room. Hey, but don't do it alone. Right, so what would it mean for us to maybe start an online group so you know how to get connected to people? So these are ways that we respond individually, right, and also collectively. But then I'll also I'll say lastly, collectively, how do we produce as a church? How do we respond then? Uh, one way is as a community, we take up projects and service for justice. You know, and it's, that one's not a deep one. It means it means there are so many great organizations and people and things in our community that are geared toward helping, or excuse me, that are geared toward justice. And I, and I want to distinguish also justice, not just justice, excuse me, take up service of justice, I'm not saying it right, um, to become involved in service for justice, not just charity, not just charity. Justice is, you see, charity is wanting to help someone who has been wronged by injustice. And we can do that. That's good. We want to help someone who's been wronged, right, by the injustice. That's charity. Justice is wanting to see the wrong made right. You see that distinction? And as a church, we want to be charitable, but we also we want to be like the life of Jesus Christ, and we want to collectively, we're seeking ways of, hey, how can we bring about justice? Okay, so that's seeing wrongs made right. So these are prepare, process, and produce. And I'm so grateful to my friend who shared those with me, and I'm now sharing those with you as something to give you groundwork to launch next. Because why do we do all this? One, because this is the Father's heart. And then secondly, because we are the Father's children. And now lastly, why do we do all of this? How do we do all this? What fuels all of this? We have and see the Father's heart in 1 John, and then we also see what it means to be, really be, not just on the surface, but to really be the Father's children. But now we are called to know about the Father's great love. 
This is what John says in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Doesn't he make it plain? (laughs) Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You hear remember what I was talking about? Empathy, right? But has no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear who? Children. That's me and you. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay, that's referring to the gospel. In truth, the distinguishing difference between children of God and children of the evil one in 1 John 3 is purely the love of God and others. Gospel-centered love is a response, listen to this, to the life-sustaining needs of others. I'm not making this up, beloved. Do you see what it says in verse 17? If anyone has what? Material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need. The way then gospel-centered love responds in the world is in life-sustaining by providing life-sustaining needs to others. This passage is specifically talking about sustaining physical lives of the vulnerable poor as the proper way to return that gospel love and to disperse it in the benefit of all God's children. But we see the connection here because when people around us are struggling to live, the gospel gives the clarion call that the way we ought to show up as the baptized, as people who take up gospel-centered agape love is what the Greeks called it. The way we take it up is by responding with life necessary needs. And if you haven't caught it by just yet, right now it is a life and death matter that the black community is experiencing, but that so many in our world is experiencing. You know, and we respond based on need. I'm going to give the, hey, Billy, give me a 30-second timer and tell me when I'm done because I don't want to take too much time. So I got him timing me because I don't, I don't want to take too much time to say this because I remember when I was in high school, I, I, was in, I was in high school and I was standing on the lawn with my dad and I said, you know, dad, I've been struggling lately because h- how is it that God distinguishes the need, a real need from a fake need? You know, and at the time for me, I was a time I was thinking about college and I was like, you know, what it meant for me to go to college in in my mind, how I thought, what it meant for me to go to college or what it meant for those in my community to say pray for food and drink. Like, is, I said, dad, is that the same thing as someone who is someone who is vastly wealthy and is praying for the need to go to an Ivy League college or saying, Lord, help me get into Harvard. I got to get to Yale. Lord, help me get that Jaguar. God is, dad, is that the same need? Does God respond the same? My time is up. So I'm going to say it just like this. I came to realize this way God responds to needs which is that anything that is faithfully submitted before the throne of Jesus Christ becomes a need. Anything that is faithfully submitted before the throne of Christ becomes a need in which, as far as I can tell, God would respond to. 
So yeah, there's things that we don't take before God's throne and say, well, God, I need this. God, I need this. You know, there's probably things you don't do that to. But the thing that you really know you need, you take before God, God's throne and you go there humbly and you, and you leave it there. Those are the needs that God's response to. So yes, now I know, yeah, God just might. God will. If it's your need to go to Harvard, I don't know the circumstances. Yeah. If you submit that thing humbly, God will respond to that need. Whatever that need is, God will respond. That's my time. So I will continue. This is the Father's love. So love is not just 2D, it's 3D. It comes out alive. It's not just in words, but it's in action. It comes out in daily concrete acts of neighborliness, in daily concrete acts of rightness, in daily concrete acts of justice. And John is getting this straight from the mouth of Jesus because what's one of the most memorable verses in all the Bible, huh? John 3.16, right? You know that with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is what? John 3.16. But this is another memorable verse that I want to encourage you to apply in your life. That's John 3.16. But 1 John 3.16 talks us and tells us about how we ought to show our love. John 3.16 lays out how God shows his love. 1 John 3.16 lays out how we ought to show our love. It lays out how we ought to do it. It says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There is risk involved in this, beloved. So it can be our decision to love like God wants us to love, but there is risk involved. There is a life at stake. And, and, you know, and it can be our decision even. I've talked to so many friends, of course, and people, you know, who, who choose to say and believe that, hey, I don't see color. But I want to, but this doesn't align, that kind of thinking doesn't align with the Father's love. Let me help you with that. Because, you see, God could have created you and me as this floating soul. You know, this clear soul that's floating a few feet above the, the earth. And we still go about the world doing what we want to do. God could have created us that way. But you know what God did in his manifold wisdom and infinite love? He wrapped my soul in black skin. He wrapped you in white, red, yellow skin. He wrapped you in a woman's body, in a man's body. He made you intentionally, purposefully. Skin color is how God made me. It's how God made you. It is a manifestation of God's love. So Jesus' followers should be the most love-crazed people in all the world. Why? Because we believe the greatest act of love is Jesus on the cross. When Jesus laid down his life on the cross, it was not an arbitrary or irrelevant act of love. It was not just a word. It was not just a sentence. One of the questions we could ask about the crucifixion is how the death of one man 2,000 years ago could have any relevance for others today. In fact, many may want to only focus on the teachings of Jesus or the words of Jesus. And in fact, I come across this in some academic settings that I've been. It's about the, the words or just the teachings of Jesus. But the death of Jesus, we don't really pay much attention to. Pay much attention to. But Jesus' death, is the greatest lesson he gave. You see, if I were sitting, I'm going to do this in the form of analogy as, as I come to a close. 
Because if I were sitting on the end of the pier on a summer day, enjoying the sunshine and the air, and I'm sitting right there on the pier and someone comes along and jumped into the water and drowns to prove their love for me, I should find it quite unintelligible. I might be much in need of love, but there was nothing in that action that has any relevance for me and meeting the needs that I have for love. But, oh, but if I had fallen into the water off of the pier and I was drowning and someone sprang into the water and at the cost of making my peril or what but for him would be my fate, he made it his own fate and saved me from death, then I should say, greater love has no man but to lay his life down for his friend. And I should say, oh, that's intelligible. I, that I get. Beloved, as you sit there in your living room, in your car, wherever you are hearing me, we are in need of so much great love. We are in need of the Father's love. And you might not see how Jesus' death has any relevance to meeting and redeeming the the deep-seated need that you have in your life. But we are drowning in a sea right now. And Jesus came and he jumped in and took the death for us so that we might be redeemed and set free. To those of us who are tired, right now to those of us who are going on in the world getting weary, who are tired of all the mentioning of justice, to my white siblings in the family of God who are tired of hearing about what has to change or who has to change or who are tired and to all my brothers and sisters who are tired of hearing about ways of taking more gospel-centered actions toward community, to everybody who's tired, I want to say this. Be tired, but you know what? Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. You see, this is what happened to Rip Van Winkle. You know the story of Rip, and I'm going to ask the the worship team to come up. Because you know the story of of Rip Van Winkle. He was a a villager in colonial America who who, while one day sitting in the Catskills Mountains, became tired and he fell asleep. Only to wake up 20 years later. When he awakens, he's an old man. His children are grown. He can't find any of his friends. He's going around the town looking for his friends. He can't find any of them. And, and in the place where George Washington's portrait was hanging, excuse me, in the place where King George III's portrait was hanging, he now sees George Washington's portrait hanging. What's the lesson that Rip teaches us, that Rip Van Winkle teaches us? that he got tired and he fell asleep only to wake up and realize that he slept through the American Revolution. Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, he opens it up with a great call of, of to the children of God understanding the gospel and he ends it, he ends that chapter by saying this, therefore my dear brothers and sisters in verse 58, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves, not half, but fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And how I remember it growing up. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Death thought it could stop Jesus. Jesus. 
in the work of the Father. But oh death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? Because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, that same power that God gave Jesus to overcome the death is the same power that he gives us to do right. Power to do right in the face of evil. Power to have courage. Power to stand up. Power to speak truth amidst lies. Power to empathize with the Samaritan sojourner. Power to live right. Power to be right. Power to walk right. Power to talk right. If you are in need of that power this morning, because you've been feeling weak and tired. If you are in need of that same power that the Father gave Jesus to raise from the dead, He wants to make it available to you right now. If you would just but be willing to receive the power from on high that comes with the Father's heart and knowing the Father's children and being a part of the Father's love. If that's you this morning, this power wears thorns, thorny crown. This power will love you unconditionally. This power will hold you up when you're weak. This power will give you a mind, a peace. This power will save your soul. Well, the Father's love is surprising me even this morning. Because showing in, in, a, in the face of much death that we see in our day to, in our, in our day, to day there is the good news that the new creation of Jesus has broken ground. The soil is being turned over in your heart and in my heart, in our heart. And the foundation being laid, and Jesus is asking, can I but come in? Can I continue to make you new? And wherever you go, I'm going to make those things new. And any people you touch, I'm going to make them new. Because eventually, by my power, Jesus says, I will make the world brand new. Let's pray. Oh, good and heavenly Father, we thank you this morning here as your children. Lord God, we repent of the ways that we have walked away from you. We repent this morning. We say we're sorry, Lord, for the ways we haven't lived out your love. We haven't lived out your heart. We haven't been a good child. Oh, but Jesus, we thank you this morning for your grace. You are the God of chance after chance after chance. And that no matter what we're facing this morning, you want to meet us right in our deepest need, no matter what that need is. If it's financial, if it's physical, if it's emotional, if it's psychological, whatever that need is, you want to meet us right there. And Jesus, we want to, re we want to receive your power today. We want to receive your spirit that makes all things new make us new as a church as we as we are a light in our community that we may show the world constructive and positive ways forward in this climate and may we not be encumbered by what other voices are saying but may we stand clear and true with who you are and what you say in Jesus name we pray amen wherever you are let us worship to the God who wants to give you that power